Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening. We are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis, chapter 5, and begin our series of reflections into chapter 6, which will have us considering in more detail uh, the figure of Noah, the great patriarch of Noah, But before we get into that, I wanted to touch upon a couple of things. You know, someone pulled me aside and said, gosh, Joe, I think I take the prayer, the Our Father, for granted. And that really caught my attention because, you know, honestly, I have as well. I have sat here in this studio and reflected in great detail on the Our Father, and and within that reflection, I really spoke to the importance of contemplating the words, but as I shared with that person from my home parish who pulled me aside and said, I just feel like I've taken it for granted. You know what? I think we all have. I try my best in, in my prayer life to be quite intentional about what I'm saying, that I might pray it with greater fervency, right? But I'm not always the best at it. And, and I think, my friends, when it is all said and done, prayer is one of those things that <laughs> the more you do it, the better you become at it. But even in the process of becoming better at it, From time to time, your imagination might get the best of you. And so we have to forgive ourselves and be mindful that we are human and what God desires is just more prayer, that we might become better at praying more, (laughs) right? So don't get down on yourself. Uh, Don't say to yourself, well, gosh, I just don't pray well, so I'm not going to pray at all. No, that's the adversary. That's Satan telling you, stop praying. God desires prayer. In the end, as I've said it so often, prayer as conversation with God is at the heart of our faith because it is the means by which we enter into deeper courtship with God, right? What does St. Paul say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17? Pray without ceasing. Does that mean you are to go on bend the knee 24-7, 365? Not necessarily, Go on bended knee each and every day, but allow your day to become a reflection of that time you spend on bended knee, that your day really might be an ongoing conversation with God, which leads to an ongoing transformation in God. You see, my friends, so don't get down on your prayer, because if you get down on your prayer life, you're going to stop praying, and when you stop praying, you're going to sees and going deeper in God, and we don't want that, right? Again, that's Satan. So please continue to pray uh, and be, be mindful that, you know, our prayer is not always perfect. God understands, but all the while he does encourage us to continue to pray. Now, the other piece I wanted to speak to before we get into the book of Genesis is what is going on politically. And, and in the past, I've gotten into all of the political discussions and and topics, whatnot. But what I want to speak to this evening has us going back to that first point, and that's our relationship with God. We cannot 
allow what is going on in the world of politics to take away our peace. Whether you are pro-Trump or anti-Trump, whether you are pro this policy or, or anti that policy, whatever side you are on, whatever camp you are in, you cannot allow it to take away from your interior peace. My dear friends, we have to be resolved to understand that when we hear that phrase, we can only control what we can control, well, <laughs> internalize that and understand that, yeah, we have a role to play as Christians and Catholics in the world. And for those of us who are called, we step forward and fulfill that role that God has entrusted to us politically, whatever that might look like. But however you might walk forward, understand that whatever happens, yeah, you cannot allow it to take away from your peace. That truly, you can only control what you can control. You can only do what you can do. And yeah, you do step forward. Let me emphasize that. You do step forward and be active in the world, in the world of politics, but realize that you cannot force anyone to do any one thing. And so in the end, what I'm saying is, do not allow what you cannot control and or another person's weakness per se to dictate your joy your peace. Because these, my friends, joy, peace, generosity, and, and, and other virtues are really fruits of the Holy Spirit. Fruits that come from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So I open up with these two reflections because they really do merge to become one thing. Once we are in a living, prayerful relationship with Jesus Christ, we will abide in that covenant harmony with God. We will know peace for what it is. Peace not as the absence of warfare, but spiritual welfare. The world's chaos and noise does not dictate my joy, but being in relationship with God, that's what dictates my joy. So please understand that. And yeah, listen to God. If God says, go over here or go over there, in this conversation or that conversation specific to, to certain debates going on in public policy, whether it be immigration, tax reform, whatever it might be, have those conversations. Those are good. Let them be reasoned conversations. A reasoned conversation and that all-important virtue that St. Paul speaks to time and time again, generosity, so that that conversation can take place. And my dear friends, if it is a conversation that does not go where <laughs> you hoped it would have gone, you're okay with that. You march on in your prayer life. You march on in, in the sacramental life that God has called you to, and you do so in those spiritual fruits of joy, peace, generosity, and, and so on. Okay? All right. <laughs> All of that being said, that opening monologue is over. <laughs> Let us jump back into Genesis chapter 5. Now, I will go ahead and reread the verses I read yesterday as far as those verses in chapter 5, verses 21 to 32, and then we will reflect a little more with what is going on in, in that chosen line, and then we will jump into chapter 6. Okay, chapter 5, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. 
Enoch walked with God after the birth of Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. Methuselah lived after the birth of Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he became the father of a son and called his name Noah, saying, and here this is in quotes, right? Out of the ground which the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands. We're going to spend some time with that verse for sure. Lamech lived after the birth of Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, so first to this chosen line, yesterday I had talked about the importance of the beginning of civilizations. And as I was talking about that, I was discussing the importance of the family tree and my experience that I had with students. I want to go back to that a little bit because when you go back into the book of Genesis, and really a more topical look at the book of Genesis, we have 50 chapters where you really have 23 lines. So the book of Genesis sets forth a genealogical chain of 23 links from the person of Adam to the people of Israel, okay, which I absolutely love, that you can really make those links from Adam all the way to Israel. Of course, as we have discussed in great detail in the past, there is the easy link to be made from once you get to Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel to Jesus Christ himself, right? Now, this genealogical chain really focuses on this chosen line, one that is blessed and preserved by God. It starts with the figures of Adam, to then Seth, to Enosh, Kenan in Genesis chapter 5, verse 9, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah is the eighth link in the chain, Lamech to Noah, Noah is the tenth link in the chain, to Shem, to Arkpashad, to Shelah, to Eber. Eber is the father to the Hebrews, huh? Peleg, Ru, Serug, Nahor, to Terah. The 20th link in the chain is Abram, who of course we know as Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And the 23rd link in the chain is the 12 tribes of Israel. Of course, who's anointed there but Joseph. With Joseph, we are talking about the land of Egypt, and from Egypt comes Moses, and out from Moses, of course, we get the conquest of the promised land and Joshua, and so on and so forth, to David, all the way to Christ, who is the son of David. So, again, in the book of Genesis, we have 23 links in the chain. And it is so important for us to appreciate that link, because once we do, 
we come to appreciate more who we are and where we are going. Yesterday, I was talking about the family tree, and I was really focusing in on what was going on (laughs) with those families who were presenting their family trees, how once they did the research and found out about the tenacity that had gone before them, they were made to appreciate their own lives. And they were suddenly filled with this purpose to live their life with greater vigor. Well, here again today, I make this point. But what I want to emphasize now is the importance of our spiritual family tree. That indeed, you can trace our spiritual family tree all the way back to Adam. And we have 23 links in the chain, or branches, if you will, in the tree that allow us to see that, yeah, there is a line that brings us all the way back to Adam. And my hope is that once we come to understand and see this for what it is, we might live our own faith with a greater purpose. Mindful that, yeah, we are a player in this great theodrama of salvation history. And our role is is no greater but no less than anyone who has gone before us. Because our vocation, my friends, like everyone who has gone before us, is a vocation rooted in the call to sanctity and holiness, the call to become a saint. This is why Leon Bloy once said, the only tragedy in life is not to become a saint. Okay? All right. Now, Noah. Noah. Chapter 5, verse 29 reads, And called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground which the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands. Now the word Noah, when you look at the Hebrew, literally translates as rest. Rest. The Hebrew phrase for bring relief is naham. It is a derivative of that. Bring relief, rest, you can hear the same thing. Now, why is this important? Well, let us go back to the creation story. And chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and held it, because on it God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. Recall what we talked about here some weeks ago. When we read the word rested, we are made to see that God instituted the Sabbath by setting the example for its observance. So for man to bear the image of God means what? But to bear the responsibility of imitating God in that weekly rhythm of labor and rest, right? Hence, the point is not that God had grown tired after creating the world, but my dear friends, that we have need of rest when we labor in imitation of Him. Huh? The Sabbath, which is set apart for the worship of God and the contemplation of His works, is the sign of His covenant with creation. And so we are to rest, contemplating just not His creation, but God the Father Himself. The New Testament, certainly, and in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, 
interprets the weekly Sabbath rest as a sign, a foretaste, if you will, of the eternal rest that awaits us in heaven. Now, why am I talking about this now? We are to interpret what is going on in the story of Noah with this as its backdrop. Because in so many ways, there is this kind of recapitulation going on. What does that word mean? Well, my friends, it is a word that literally translates as to summarize and or state again, state again in a new context. Noah is stating again what has already been spoken to in the story of creation. That the very person of Noah is to remind us of that foreordained vocation to rest in him, to uh, worship God. What is the first thing that Noah does after he finds land? He offers up a holocaust to God, an offering to God. He is what? Worshiping God. And once he offers up this sacrifice with God, God enters into a covenant relationship with Noah. Because, my friends, worship is what is necessary for a covenant relationship with God. As covenant relationship with God is necessary for worship. And the story of Noah ought to have us thinking about this as the very word itself, rest, speaks to relief. Bring relief. What we do on the seventh day. We are to rest on the seventh day. We are to enter into worship on the seventh day. Noah, rest. Bring relief. Okay, chapter six. When man began to multiply on the face of the ground and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took to wife such of them as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, but his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. All right, so in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, what we have here really is a critical narrative so as to continue to better understand the much larger unfolding narrative, huh? Where the righteous line of Seth, the sons of God, intermarry with the godless line of Cain, the daughters of men, and ultimately become corrupt, right? Except for, except for, as we read in verses 8 to 9, Noah, right? What do we read in verses 8 to 9? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, so he was not corrupt. Now, on top of the violence and, and, and moral decadence spreading over the earth, this appears to be, as St. John Chrysostom and, and St. Augustine would teach, really the, the, the final outrage that moves God to pour out his wrath in the waters of the flood. Now, there is something else potentially going on here. And what's really interesting is if you were to go into the writings of St. Justin Martyr, uh, the great apologist, and St. Clement of Alexandria, 
they interpret this text as the possibility that the sons of God are not men, but rebel angels called the Watchers, capital W. Rebel angels that took the form of men and had sexual relations with women. Okay, so now this is a really interesting take. I'm not sure what to do with that, if I'm going to be totally honest. I will say this, if you were to go into chapter 6, verse 2, you might get a clue into how to best interpret what's going on here. What do I mean? Well, let's remember that when you interpret sacred scripture, it's always best to interpret it in light of the whole, right? This is part of what we call the analogy of faith. Let us read verse 2 again. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were fair, and they took to wife such of them as they chose. My dear friends, I believe that this verse, the author of the book of Genesis, if it is in fact Moses, wants us to read this verse and to do so in light of Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. If you have your Bibles out, let us go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. So what do you have there in chapter 3, verse 6, that you also have in chapter 6, verse 2? But saw, fair, took, the same Hebrew expressions that are used in chapter 6, verse 2, are the same Hebrew expressions in sequence that you find in chapter 3, verse 6. Saw, good, took. Hinting, my friends, that the sons of God replicate the original sin of Eve. Yeah, that maybe you, you are dealing with angel rebels, these watchers, maybe. But don't underestimate the enticing enchantment, right, of the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. Adam and Eve were the sons and daughters of God, and they were seduced under that same enticing enchantment. Now, this verse also speaks to the 120 years and the Nephilim. Maybe we have enough time to speak to the 120 years. I know I have received some questions about this. We'll have to take up the Nephilim next week. What can we say about the 120 years? Well, on one hand, the 120 years seems to impose at this point a limit that man's lifetime will no longer run beyond 120 years. Although, of course, <laughs> we know that the lifespan of, of subsequent generations begins to plummet after this point the limit doesn't take full effect until the end of the Pentateuch when we have Moses um, dying at 120 years of age. Again, here there might be relevance to Moses authoring this as there might be a direct correlation to that. Another possibility, a possibility that is taken up by the great Saint Jerome, uh, the great biblical scholar who, of course, translated the Old Testament into the Latin vernacular, right, and the Latin Vulgate. So no matter what faith you belong to, we have a great debt of ingratitude to St. Jerome. 
so St. Jerome and St. John Chrysostom make note that there's another possibility that the 120 years refers to not a reduced lifespan, but to a time of forbearance in which God grants an opportunity for sinners to repent before the onset of the flood. So that could be very much applied. Quite honestly, it could be both, because what we could be dealing with here is just not the spiritual sense, but at the same time, and even more foundationally, the literal sense. All right, so with that, I think we will wrap up our discussion uh, next Monday. I think we will take up the Nephilim. Who were these figures? I know I've gotten questions on this as well. Many of you have watched the movie Noah with Russell Crowe, and the director of that movie portrays the, the Nephilim as these rock-like figures. What the heck was going on there, Joe? Is this biblical? Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit for sure, and we will do so within the context of not only the book of Genesis, but as we will underscore next week, the book of Numbers because the Nephilim are also noted in the book of Numbers. So anyhow, we'll talk more about that next week. If you have any questions, send me an email. Send me an email to jholljmj at yahoo.com or just go to joholcraft.org. Send your, your question or comment, observation, and I'll take your comments and observations to air if, if I see fit. And, and I do so so that this program might be enriched. Huh? All right, with that, We pray all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.